Hello, and welcome back to the QUB GP Society podcast series, entitled Common Conditions in General Practice. Thanks to all of you who have subscribed to our series. If you haven't already done so, why not hit the subscribe button now? If you've been enjoying our recent episodes, perhaps you might also leave us a review to help us further increase our reach among medical students. As always, if you would like to get in touch with the Society, or you have any ideas or suggestions for the podcast, don't be afraid to get in touch with us via social media or by email gp-soc at qub.ac.uk. But now, on to today's episode. My name is Davog McCaffrey, and I am the president of the QUB GP Society. Thank you for joining us for today's episode, which will be on acne. We will be discussing two main types of acne, acne vulgaris and acne rosacea, in terms of their pathophysiology, clinical features and management. As we begin, it is important to highlight that dermatology is a highly visual subject. Therefore, I would recommend that you stop the podcast at various points to check out images of the various conditions or features mentioned. When we use the term acne, I imagine that most people are referring to acne vulgaris. This is chronic inflammation of the pilosebaceous unit and usually tends to affect adolescents. Acne is associated with huge psychological impacts on individuals and can often have a huge effect on one's self-esteem. In terms of pathophysiology, acne is due to chronic inflammation with or without localised infection in the pilosebaceous units. These units comprise hair follicles and sebaceous glands which produce our natural skin oils, and sebum, which is a waxy substance. Increased production of sebum, or plugging of the pilosebaceous duct, leading to obstruction of outflow, are important causes of acne. Abnormal microbial colonisation may also play a role, particularly with the organ Propionibacterium acnes. The production of sebum is under the control of androgen hormones. This is why acne is often exacerbated during puberty, and as we will come on to, contraception may be used in the control of acne in female patients. There are a number of factors or conditions that can cause or trigger acne. These include hormonal factors, such as polycystic ovary syndrome or congenital adrenal hyperplasia, stress, diet, particularly a high glycemic index diet, certain cosmetics, particularly oil-based cosmetics which can be particularly occlusive, smoking, pregnancy and drugs, for example, corticosteroids, 
cyclosporins, and lithium. Moving on to discuss some of the clinical features, acne vulgaris tends to be characterised by comedones, which are swollen and inflamed pilosebaceous units. These comedones may be open, commonly referred to as blackheads, due to the pigment melanin, or they may be closed, also known as whiteheads. There may also be papules and pustules, which involve inflammation and pus, due to the rupture of the wall of a closed comedone. In nodulocystic acne, comedones, papules and pustules tend to be larger and deeper, and there is often a significant inflammatory component and the presence of pain. Nodulocystic acne is particularly associated with a high scarring risk. Scarring often remains even after the acne heals, but it may improve 6 to 12 months post-inflammation. There are different types of scars. For example, ice pick scars are small indentations, hypertrophic scars are small lumps, and rolling scars are irregular wavelength irregularities, all of which remain after the acne heals. For the management of acne, this is often guided by the grade, but there are some general self-help tips that an individual can deploy. For example, using water-based cosmetics instead of oil-based, and washing their skin a maximum of twice per day. In mild acne, there are comedones and small pustules. Treatment initially tends to involve the use of a topical benzoyl peroxide, which exerts antiseptic properties to reduce inflammation and help to unblock the skin. Whilst the use of benzyl peroxides tend to help reduce antibiotic resistance, their main side effect is that they can be very irritant to the skin. Mild acne vulgaris may also be treated using topical retinoids. These are chemicals closely related to vitamin A, and they slow the production of sebum. Again, they may cause irritation to the skin and photosensitivity. After using topical retinoids for some time, individuals may become tolerant. You may then wish to consider the use of topical antibiotic combinations with either benzyl peroxides or retinoids. But remember that benzyl peroxides have been associated with reduced antibiotic resistance. These topical antibiotic combinations may be used for a maximum of 12 weeks and they must never be used as monotherapy due to risks of antibiotic resistance. It is important to note that even in individuals with moderate or severe acne, these topical treatments may be used in a synergistic manner with oral therapies. 
Moderate acne refers to papulopustular lesions in a wider area or failure of mild acne to respond to the aforementioned therapies. Treatment often involves the use of an oral antibiotic for 6 to 12 weeks. This is often in the form of a tetracycline like limacycline or erythromycin which should be used with care considering antibiotic resistance. As previously mentioned, in female patients, the oral contraceptive pill can help to stabilise their hormones and slow the production of sebum. Anti-androgenic contraceptives such as Yasmin, Dianet and Celeste have particularly good effects. These pills should be used for a maximum of three to four months and then discontinued once the acne has stabilised due to the thromboembolic risk. Once again, it is important to remember that these oral therapies should be used in combination with topical therapies where possible. Finally, severe acne refers to widespread nodulocystic lesions or failure of moderate acne to respond to therapy or significant psychological upset. The mainstay of treatment for severe acne vulgaris is oral isotretinoin, also known as ruacatine, which is a retinoid that is very effective at clearing the skin. It works by reducing the production of sebum, reducing inflammation and reducing bacterial growth. Ruacatine is usually used for four to six months in individuals who have failed other therapies and must be prescribed by a specialist dermatologist. Ruacatine is a highly teratogenic drug. Therefore, all patients using Ruacatine must be also using effective contraception and they must stop the drug for at least one month before they try to become pregnant. There are a range of other side effects, including dry skin and lips, photosensitivity, altered mood, depression and anxiety, an increased risk of hepatitis, meaning individuals should not be drinking alcohol whilst they are on the drug, and rarely Stephen Johnson syndrome or toxic epidermal necrolysis. Just to note that during pregnancy, acne is normally treated with a topical benzyl peroxide and or erythromycin. Moving on to discuss acne rosacea, which is again a chronic inflammatory skin disorder. Acne rosacea involves papules and pustules on a background of erythema and telangiectasia. It tends to involve the convexities of the face, for example, the nose, cheeks, chin and forehead. Whilst acne vulgaris was most common in adolescence, acne rosacea tends to affect females who are fair-skinned and in their 30s or 40s.
Whilst the exact pathogenesis of acne rosacea is unclear, it is thought to be multifactorial, involving genetic, vascular, and environmental components. Some aggravating factors include sunlight, alcohol, caffeine, exercise, spicy foods, topical steroids, and drugs that cause vasodilation. Acne rosacea may be further divided into pustular rosacea and erythematous rosacea. Beginning with pustular rosacea, the papules and pustules are on the convexities of the skin and there are no comedones. There may be some lymphedema of the skin of the nose or rhinophyma, which is coarse thickening of the skin. In up to 50% of patients with pustular rosacea, there is ocular involvement, mainly blepharitis, but also conjunctivitis, episcleritis, and keratitis. Acne rosacea tends to be diagnosed clinically. Treatment begins by highlighting to patients the importance of UV protection. The first-line treatment is topical ivermectin, which has anti-inflammatory and antiparasitic properties. Alternatively, topical metronidazole may be used. If these topical treatments are not effective, you may consider the use of oral antibiotics like tetracyclines for four to six months. In very severe cases, plastic surgical intervention may be needed for gross rhinophyma, which is thickening of the skin. On the other hand, erythematous rosacea initially involves frequent facial flushing. However, over a period of months or years, this flushing may become very persistent and the skin may become highly sensitive. Treatment tends to begin with trigger avoidance and once again UV protection. An emollient may also be used. Like in so many dermatological conditions, the cosmetic and psychological impact of acne rosacea is very important to consider. Topical brimonidine gel, which is an alpha-2 agonist, causes vasoconstriction of the skin and the induction of pallor. Cosmetic therapies may also include laser therapy or camouflage advice. As in the pustular form of acne rosacea, ocular involvement is common. Good lid hygiene and the use of artificial tears may be considered, as well as the use of oral tetracyclines or erythromycin. For patients with severe ocular symptoms, ophthalmology input may be required to rule out blepharitis or keratitis. In summary, we have discussed both acne vulgaris and acne rosacea, which affect two very different portions of the population. Acne vulgaris affecting primarily adolescents and teenagers, and acne rosacea affecting fair-skinned females in their 30s and 40s. 
these conditions are commonly seen in the community by general practitioners. Treatment can take the form of both topical and oral medications and should be guided by the clinical features and individual patient factors, particularly the psychological and cosmetic impact of these conditions. Input from specialist dermatologists is very important, especially for commencing drugs like roaccutane in the case of severe acne. That brings us to the end of today's podcast. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that you can keep up to date with all the latest episodes. You can also check out our society on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram where you will be able to keep up to date with all the latest news and events. We look forward to you joining us for a new episode next Monday. But until then, thank you and goodbye.